to continue our series in the Holy Spirit, and it just naturally goes into today, we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So to begin with, I want to just maybe, maybe share a few fruity jokes. You don't mind, do you? You won't hurt my peelings if, if you do, it's okay. <laughs> All right, what do you call a grouchy apple? Hey, crab apple, excellent. A gorilla's favorite fruit is? Whoa. Oh, you were in the first service. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening. <laughs> you get an award just for that. A calendar's favorite fruit? Dates, right, right, right. Good, good, good. Why did the pie go to the dentist? To get a filling, good, good, good. That was very good. Now this has nothing to do with fruit, but it's my favorite joke ever. What's a dentist's favorite time? 2.30, 2.30. Oh, it's a good one, come on, you guys. All right, how about, who are those fruity guys who lead the church? Elderberries, elderberries. I made that one up. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right, enough of that. Hey, today we're gonna look at Galatians chapter five. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited for the connection between the fruit of the Spirit and the things that we've talked about already. So remember that we've talked about when a person is born again, when they, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior for the forgiveness of their sins, Jesus baptizes that person in the Holy Spirit and into the church, into his body, the church. So with that comes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are given, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But the fact that those two things occur in the life of a believer does not guarantee that that believer will live with the benefits of the Holy Spirit. And that's just what the fruit is. The fruit is the benefits of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to look at today and so I want to give you a, a quick background of Galatians 5 by looking at Galatians 3 first. This is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of the faith? And the answer is, they receive the spirit by hearing of faith. And then he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, what was happening here was that some false teachers had gotten into the church in Galatia. And they were teaching that in order to be really holy, a really good Christian, you have to follow all the works of the law. And Paul is saying to them, have, if you started with the Holy Spirit, why have you now abandoned the Holy Spirit and why are you trying to attain holiness by following the works of the law? So what these false teachers were doing was they were saying, they were encouraging them to substitute rules for relationship, following the rules of God rather than having the relationship with God. Now this is really important. It's important for us because many times we have said, I know I, I have used this with people in, in witnessing, I've said, no, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. So we begin that way, but then we go on living our lives thinking, okay, I gotta check all these boxes. I'm supposed to be this, I have to do this, I've gotta do this. 
and, and we follow our lives that way, seeking holiness after the works that we're doing rather than building the relationship with Jesus Christ, which is what he wants in the first place. So holiness is not manufactured by how much we go to church or how much we give or how good I am to grandma or anything else. Holiness is not manufactured by those things. And Paul tells us why. He says, if we chase holiness by just doing good, we run the risk of several things. First of all, we can never maintain it. We just can't maintain it all the time. The second thing is we become proud because we think, look at what I am doing. See me, I'm the one who's doing all these good things, who's attaining the holy life by doing this, 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 and this, and this. And then the third thing that Paul says is that when we seek after holiness just by doing good things, we run the risk of some pretty bad blind spots. It works like this. I'm really good at following this rule, this rule. I go to church, I do this, I all this stuff. I ignore what I'm not doing over here. You know, that's the mentality behind abusers, right? People who abuse are typically very good law keepers. And they're good law keepers, and that keeps them ignoring the part of the law that they're not doing. So I can validate what I'm doing over here because I'm really good at keeping the law over here. And so I hide that very easily. So keeping the law cannot attain holiness. But these Galatians were told that that's what they had to do. And it's a natural tendency for us. We call it legalism, right? We go into legalism. There's things I must do. And we think that somehow by doing that, I'm earning holy points with God. And God's saying, I just want relationship with you. Come into relationship, that's what I want. So this leads us into our discussion about fruit. Before we talk about it through the spirit, I wanna talk about some things that we need to know about fruit. First is that fruit has the characteristics of its tree. A peach grows on a peach tree. An apple grows on an apple tree. Grapes grow on a grapevine. If you're living by the Holy Spirit, it will show up by looking like Jesus Christ. When I'm abiding by the Holy Spirit and living in the Holy Spirit, my life should look like the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in John 15 in his chapter about the vine and the branches. He said, you must be connected to me in order to do the things of the Spirit. We must stay in that relationship with the vine, Jesus Christ the vine. The second thing is that fruit is visible. Everybody sees your fruit. So I think about this. I, I, um, on alternate 13, there was a big field there. I guess Pfeiffer's owns it. I'm not sure. But they had planted all these trees about a foot apart. Do you remember where I'm talking about? Trees, both I, No, I guess it's just on one side of the road. For the longest time, I didn't know what trees they were. So all spring, I'm driving by. All summer, I'm driving by. All fall. And then finally, what's growing on there turns red. And I see, ah, it's apples. Those are apple trees. They're the littlest apple trees. You know, they all got torn off a couple of weeks ago. They're all out of there now. I don't know what they did with them. But those were apples. And I could tell because I saw them. I saw the fruit. You see, the fruit is visible in our lives. And if we are living by the Holy Spirit, people will see that fruit in our lives. If we're not living by the Holy Spirit, people will see that fruit in our lives. And we could even manufacture some of the fruit of the Spirit on our own, but people are gonna know. 
they know fruit is visible. Third thing is that fruit is for the benefit of others. If you leave an apple on a tree long enough and never eat it, what happens to it? It rots, right. Fruit is meant to be enjoyed by other people. So it should benefit others. Your life, the fruit of your life, should be enjoyed by those people around you. So the question we have to ask is, hmm, do my children enjoy my life? Does my spouse enjoy the fruit of my life? And what happens after you eat the fruit, that delicious flesh around the pit? What happens then? The seed is planted. You see, when somebody enjoys the fruit of your life, you're also planting a seed in them. So let me say this. If you're a crab apple, if you're just an old crow who's grumpy, right, are the people around you enjoying your fruit and what seed have you planted in them? So fruit benefits others. So this brings us to Galatians 5, where we're going to spend the rest of the sermon. Paul says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's a war zone in every one of us. There is a war zone. We have the Holy Spirit who's wanting to produce fruit in our lives. And then we have our sin nature over here. And our sin nature, which no longer has the power to master us, but sometimes we give our sin nature that power, and then what we try to do is we try to apply the law and say, sin nature, you must obey the law. Obey. And all that does is get the sin nature all that more excited. And the truth is that we don't have the willpower strong enough to keep the sin nature under control on our own. So this battle is going on, on in us. Will I, will I resurrect that slave to master relationship or will I submit to the Holy Spirit? It's constantly going on. So how do I know? How do I know which one of these am I? Well, Paul says, I can know by the evidence, and that's the fruit. The answer is evidence. What is the evidence in your life? He says in verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the deeds of the flesh. They're the deeds of the sinful nature and the law. Wait a minute, I thought the law was good. The law is good, but every time I try to obey that law, my sin nature rises up. So these are the deeds of the flesh. These are the deeds of a person who's living outside of the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, you say, but I thought you just said that when I was born again, the Holy Spirit was put in me. But we can quench his influence. And next week, we're gonna really talk about what it means to follow the Holy Spirit and not quench the Holy Spirit. But for today, understand that we are deciding between our, in ourselves, looking at ourselves and saying, am I a spiritual Christian or am I a fleshly Christian? And that's the question we must ask ourselves. And Paul says, stop wondering. 
Look at the evidence. Look at the fruit. And here's a list of some of the rotten fruit that comes from a fleshly life. The first is immorality, impurity, and sensuality. So let me just give some quick definition here. Immorality is the illegitimate sexual activity, any illegitimate sexual activity, that is outside the boundary of heterosexual marriage. Let me say that again. Immorality is any illegitimate sexual activity that is outside the boundary that God has set up for marriage, heterosexual marriage. Now that shows up in two different ways. It shows up in impurity in our minds, that's the thinking of it, and it shows up in sensuality, that's the working out of it. So whether you're thinking about it or doing it, it's immoral and it's not of the Holy Spirit. So if these things are a part of your life, you can know that you're not submitting to the Holy Spirit. Your flesh is ruling in those areas. So that's a first evidence of not following the Holy Spirit. The next two fruits of walking in the flesh are more of religious sins. The first is idolatry and then sorcery. So idolatry. Idolatry is anything we substitute for God. And this is hard for us because in, in our culture, there's not too many of us who are bowing down to, uh, to you know, statues on a table or anything like that. And we usually say, well, money can be an idolatry and, and entertainment can be an idolatry. But I want to make it even more practical. If anything is in your life if there's anything in your life that comes before the things that are most important to God, then it's an idol. So, we know that God desires for us to be in his word. He not only desires it, he commands it. He wants us here. Why? Because it's for our good. Well, if you're putting something before reading his word, whether that's your sleep, or your busyness, or whatever, then it's an idol because it's come before what God wants for you. Going to church, now I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here, so I can say it, nobody has to be convicted. But it's the same thing, right? We know that God desires for every believer to not forsake the gathering of the brethren, to be with other in the fellowship of other believers to grow and worship together. Well, what is it that you put before that? Is it sleep? Is it busyness? Is it I have to mow my lawn? What is it? What about forgiveness? We know that God desires us to live in forgiveness. He desires us to, to be in uh, seeking reconciliation in relationships that are broken. Well, what do I put before that? Do I put bitterness, pride, vengeance? Then those are idols. I'm, I, have an, I have an idolatry problem in my life. If anything comes before the things that God really wants for you, then it's an idol. And it's not evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. Sorcery, I'm gonna move very quickly here. The thing I just want you to know about sorcery, the word is, and I'm not gonna pronounce it right, it's Greek, and it's something like pharmakeia. It's our word for pharmacy. In the Bible, sorcery and witchcraft are associated with drugs. So this is talking about drugs. So I wanna make this practical. I, I know that there are people here who, who have, have that in their past, but 
for all of us, it's anything that we are seeking that where God should meet us. Why do you go to drugs? You go to drugs because you want peace. You want to be able to cope. You want to be able to, to escape. All of those things are what God wants to be for you. So anything that you put before those things or anything that you seek after those things in that's other than God, that's an idol. You're practicing, practicing sorcery in a sense. Okay? And even today, I mean, just to, so you understand the connection, uh, sorcery even today and witchcraft often is involved with drugs. If you read about any tribes in other countries uh, with witch doctors and those kinds of things, drugs are, are rampant in those situations because it opens you up to demon work. And so, so this is talking about those couple of things. Now, Let's move on. The rest of the list has to do with relational sins, and I'll list them. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, dis disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and in case that wasn't enough, he says, and things like these, right? There's a lot of things, a lot of things in that list, and I'm not going to define all of them. You know what they mean, but here's the point. If these things are regular visitors in your relationships, then your relationships are probably broken. If, the, if these things are, are ruling in any relationship that you have, it's not a healthy relationship. You know, we, we can excuse these things by saying, well, you know, he and I are just really different kind of people or, or you know, she and I don't, we don't mesh together all that well. Well, that may be, but it doesn't excuse you that Jesus wants us to be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit and not these things. If you, these things are in relationships that you have, then it's evidence that you're not submitting to the Holy Spirit, but instead living by the power of the flesh, resurrecting that slave to master relationship of the sinful nature. And you're no longer a slave of the sinful nature. You've been freed from that. You've died to that. I'm always so thankful that there's another list in this passage. Paul goes on, he says, how do you want to know if you're following the Holy Spirit? Well, here's the list. This is what the fruit looks like in your lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is, hey, you want to say it with me? Go ahead. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let me say a few things before we get into the fruits themselves. First of all, there's one fruit. You notice the word is singular. It's one fruit. It's not many fruits. See, this is one cluster of things, which means that all of these things should be growing in our lives simultaneously. So I can't say, but I think I may have accidentally said this once in a while, you know, well, I, I'm not a very patient person, but I've got a lot of self-control. It doesn't work that way. This one fruit, it's one cluster of fruit that is growing because the Holy Spirit is doing this. And that's the next point. The next point is that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruit of John Rossetti. It's not the fruit of any of you out here. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means it's his work in us, which means that I just have to make myself available for him to do the work in me. And once he works, then he gets the credit for it because it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life 
will be bearing this fruit on a regular basis and we should see this fruit growing in us by following the Spirit. So let's talk about the first three. I see these first three fruits as foundational. Love, joy, and peace. Listen to some of these verses about love. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Oh, love is the evidence, this is saying. Love is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. When we love one another, it's evidence that the spirit is working. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Whoa, I thought the law was all these things I have to do. No. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love fulfills the law. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, living in love is far better than living in the law because living in love fulfills the law. Think about that. You don't have to strive for rules. It's living in love fulfills the law. Now, if love is not characteristic of us, then our testimonies mean nothing at all. If we are not loving the people in our lives, then our words mean nothing. So I can't love one person and hate another and think I'm being a, a Holy Spirit-driven Christian. It doesn't work that way. See, love is not an option for the believer. And if you want to know what love is, go to 1 Corinthians 13 when you go home today. Read it. Start memorizing it. And you realize love is, in fact, not a feeling of love. Love is action. Love is kindness. Love is bearing with one another. That's what love is. That's what we're called to do and to be. I won't say anything about joy other than joy is deep. It's deeper than any circumstance. There's no circumstance that can take our joy. It can take my happiness. It can take my, my fun. But joy is deeply rooted in us. And it's grounded in the foundation of the Holy Spirit. Peace, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. See, when you're a believer who's living in harmony with the Holy Spirit, there is a deep-seated peace that nothing can describe. There is a peace that you cannot tell anyone about unless you've experienced it yourself. If you're not living by the Holy Spirit but striving in the flesh and striving with the law, you cannot have that peace. You need the peace that Jesus wants to give us. He gives it to us. It's not like he's withholding it. He's saying, I give it to you. I leave it with you. But we get it by accessing the Holy Spirit. The next three, patience, kindness, goodness, have to do with our relationships with others. We know what patience is. We know what kindness is and goodness. The, the thing is that these are important to relationships. 
If these are absent from your relationship, you don't have a good relationship with that person. So as you examine your hearts, and as I examine my heart, just where is their patience? Where is their impatience? Where is their kindness? Where is their lack of it? Where is their goodness? Where is their hatred? And so I look at this. I, I want to read this. This is from Billy Graham. He says, patience in our lives springs from God's power based upon our willingness to learn it. And I love the balance he strikes here. Patience comes from God's power based on our willingness. So what do we do? We just say, I'm willing. Lord, give me patience. I'm willing. I'm willing. But the question is, are we really willing, right? And that's what we have to, what we have to spend our time on but I'm willing. So let me read on. He says, whenever we are selfish and when anger or ill will begins to build or when impatience or frustration overtakes us, we must recognize that we are the source of the problems, not God. I thought I was a really patient person and then the Lord sent me children. And I didn't know what happened to me. It was like, who is this man? I don't know this man who's frustrated and, and angry and, and all that stuff. I thought I was so patient. And I started praying about it. And the Lord just said, John, your kids are not the problem. Your kids revealed the problem in you. You see, I wasn't submitting myself to the Holy Spirit. Well, I might have been when it was easier, but when it got really challenged, I decided to take it on myself. And it wasn't until I submitted that to the Holy Spirit that I began to be more patient within my family. And I needed that. And so, so these things, th these are things that we have to understand that it's a willingness to come before God for these things. The other thing that we have to know is that when, when we do it that way, it's Christ who gets the glory. I don't get the glory for, I'm a patient person. You see, all of a sudden, no, I'm not patient. I realize, oh my goodness, I need something way more than what I have in me, and that was the Holy Spirit. And so he gets the credit for it. It's so beautiful. You want to give glory and honor to God? That's how we do it. We submit ourselves to him. The other thing that you need to know is that these things are not talking about temperament. It's so easy to say, well, I'm not a very patient person, or I struggle with anger, or I'm not harsh, I'm Italian. Or how about that Irish temper of mine, right? We can excuse all those things, and those things may be true. I may be harsh, I may be angry, I may be patient, I may be Italian, I may be Irish. They may be true, but none of those excuses me from following the standard that God has set up. Not one of those things excuse us. We are called to these fruits of the Spirit and to submit to the Holy Spirit so that these fruits would be building and growing in us and thriving in us. The final group of fruit here is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So faithfulness, these are, really, these are really evidence of maturity in the Lord. I say that because, because think about this. You know, our teens aren't here, except for a few of them. I could say it. Don't you guys tell the rest. But think about teens. Teens, what they want is they want the privilege of being an adult without the responsibility of it, right? Well, spiritually, it's the same thing. We want all the benefits. We want the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good. We want all that. But we don't want the responsibility. We want to still live over here and strive rather than submitting and giving ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. 
So faithfulness is really an act of maturity, being faithful. Gentleness, another word, some of your translations will say meekness here. And I just, a few things here. A fire in the woods is out of control and destructive. A fire in the fireplace is romantic and warming. A river can be absolutely destructive and and furious, but if you were to harness the power of that river, it can provide energy for an entire city. Well, that's what meekness is. Meekness is using our power, harnessing that power, controlling that power, and using it for the good of others. Because I can easily use my power to hurt. I can use my power to overpower, to overcome, to control, to abuse. But meekness, gentleness is saying that power needs to be under the submission of the Holy Spirit and used for the good in somebody else's life. And then finally, self-control. And some of your Bibles will say here, temperance. When you think temperance, what do you think of? You think of the the temperance movement when when alcohol was controlled by the the government. Well, it's control, but it's not just of alcohol, it's of everything. It's control of how we eat, of how we dress, of what we say, of what we think. It's control of everything in our lives, self-control. The thing about temperance is, is it means controlling the things that are in our lives. So it's far easier to say, I'll never play another video game in the world, you know, in my, the rest of my life, than it is to say, I will control my use of video games to a half an hour a week, right? It's way easier to just say, never again, than to actually exercise the self-control. Part of maturity as a Christian is learning temperance, is learning how to balance the things of life. Now, the only thing that we should absolutely abstain from is sin, right? There's no temperance with that. We don't want to give temperance to sin. But to the things of life, we must be self-controlled and balanced. And when that's there, it's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in us. The summary of, of all of these things is, first of all, what does this tell you about God? What does it tell you about God that he wants these things in our lives? I mean, who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want joy, peace? Is there anybody here who says, I don't want those things in my life? No, we want these in our lives. They're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're gracious, they're they're everything we want. And isn't it beautiful that our God wants these things in our lives? And he doesn't only want them in our lives, He provides the way for them to be in our lives. God loves us so much. He is such a good God and so desires the very best. Look, if you're living by this, you will have the best life you can have. It's the the deeds of the flesh that destroy our lives. And this is what God wants for us. Also, these things, as I said, should be present and growing. And we, we'll look back. You know, you may not know it now, but you'll look back to, to, to the past and you say, you know what? I really see patience has grown in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I am more self-controlled on the way I handle whatever, right? We, we look to the, these things growing steadily in us. Paul says, if these things are not growing in you, 
then he gives us this final warning. He says, now those who belong to Christ have been crucified with the flesh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He says, let me just remind you, this was crucified with Christ. When you died in Christ, and if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and you have been if you're a believer, you died to these things. You are no longer obligated here. Now, our obligation is over here to the Holy Spirit and to submitting to him. That has, that's a thing of the past. That's been put to death. So, are others enjoying your fruit? Are you planting seeds that are of these kinds of fruit? Out of you do people see patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Are they seeing all of these things in you as you're living your life for Christ? And so if your answer is no, I don't, I, I, they're not. What do I do? What do I do? Well, you stop striving in the flesh and develop your relationship with Jesus. Work on the relational part of it. You know, we're a church, we say you gotta read your Bible every day. Yeah, read your Bible every day, but that's not the end goal. We read our Bible every day so we can have relationship with Jesus. That's why we do all the things we do. And when we have that relationship with Jesus and it's vital and vibrant and growing, then the fruit of the Spirit together will come up in your life and you will see evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Before we sing a song, a closing song, I just want to read these words from John 15. Jesus says, abide in me, hold. When you think abide, it's, it's clinging, holding tight, grasping. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Relationship. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. May our strivings become works of grace. That's really what this is about. And that's what you just sang. I hope you noticed in that song the fruit of the Spirit that was listed there. I'm praying that into our lives. I want to close with this today. Jesus said that his Father would be glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. So may you delight in the Lord so that you will be a tree planted near streams of water, bearing fruit in its season. Amen.